can stir up so many different types of emotions. You know, family, with family, there's, there's, there's no such thing as being emotionally neutral. Like, you, you can't say father and not have some kind of emotion. You can't say mom and not have some kind of emotion. You can't say your older brother or your older sister or your younger brother or older sister. You know, these are terms that are not emotionally neutral. You know, these emotions can bring up a wide variety of feelings from hurt, from incredible love, to disappointment, to regrets, just by talking about family. And I'm really grateful that we've been able to, to camp out on this, this topic of family. You know, as we talk about future family, there's nothing more incredible when we get to see families united in Christ. You know, one of the biggest lies that we can tell ourselves when it comes to our families is this right here. I don't care. You know, you may... Think about your own father and say, you know, I haven't talked to my dad in five years. He hurt me or he did something to me. I don't care. You know, my mom, she walked out on us six years ago and she married another guy. She married someone to divorce my father. I don't care about her anymore. You may think about your older brother and say, you know what, he, he embarrassed our family. He stole from my parents when we were younger. You know, my older brother, he's doing drugs. I just don't care. You know, my older sister, I'm not sure where she is anymore. I just don't care. You know, my dad, he took off so early in, our, in my life. I don't even remember him being around. And we can tell us this lie. Tell ourselves this lie right here. I don't care. But I want to tell you something. You know, one, one of the things about family is that probably all of us here have someone in our lives, someone in our family, whether it be a, an extended family or someone in our immediate family, that we think of that we know there's something that's not right. And we're tempted to feel like I don't care. We're going to watch a video right now that maybe you can relate to. So check it out. I can't believe you're actually standing here in my living room, Eddie. Mm. <laughs> Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. It's a crying shame the older kids couldn't make it. I'll get that. Don't worry about it. Hey, I got the daughter in the clinic getting cured off the wild turkey. And the older boy, bless his soul, is preparing for his career. Call it? Carnival. You gotta be proud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, last season he was a Picture dust spreader on a tilted world. He thinks that maybe next year he'll be guessing people's waiter barking for the yak woman. You ever see her? No. Yeah, she's got these big horns growing right out above her ear. Yeah, she's ugly as sin. But a sweet gal. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. <laughs> you know, who is the cousin Eddie? In your family. That as we're going into the holidays right now, you know, we're, we're all, people are coming together. You know, we just had Thanksgiving. And now we're, we're hitting Christmas. And, you know, typically families come in from all over, the, all over town, all over the country to be together. And we can set up in our own minds. We can kind of have the Hollywood version of, of how we want Christmas to go. You know, we think, you know, everyone's going to come in, 
to our house and we're just going to be singing fa la 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 la. That's how we want Christmas to be when we're with family. We want everything to just go so smoothly and so perfect and everyone's just is, is, is mutually understanding everybody. And everyone is, is saying, how are you doing? Oh, it's so great to see you. You know what? I'm so sorry for how I treated you like this past year. That's the ideal. But sometimes this, what we just saw, that video, is more the real. Can you relate to me right here? I think we can all identify with that. Yet one of the most controversial family terms that we can talk about in our society today is that the dynamic between a son and a father, a daughter and a father. And we're, I've had many years of talking with members of our church and talking about different dynamics that have gone on growing up with our fathers in particular. And one of the sad things is that, and me included, that that relationship with our father, there, there, there's, a, there's that, mm, that when we think about our fathers growing up, that maybe they weren't there for us. Maybe they treated us badly. Maybe they abused us in some way. And today we're going to talk about something so powerful that this, no matter how badly you were hurt, no badly what you may think about your, your family, and no matter how tempted you are to say, I don't care, Jamie, I don't even want to hear anymore about family, because it brings up so many bad memories, so many hurts. Know this, you were born and created to care. God created each one of us to care. So no matter what's gone on in your life, and I know they're all real things, you may be saying, but Jamie, you don't understand how I grew up. He did, my father did this, my mother did this, my grandparents did this. And you know what? I would probably say, wow, I, I agree with you. That, that's, that's horrific what they did. Or that, that's so hurtful what they did. But still... You were born and created to care. You know, one of the things that, for me, I've seen in my own life is that as I grew up in my relationship with my, my father, you know, through my 20s, it was like, all good, we're going, we're cranking along in life. I get married, I have children. Through my 30s, I go, and then sometime in my 40s, I just turned 41 about six months ago. But there's something that typically in our 40s, there's something that hits us with our relationships, and specifically with our fathers. And it's like that of a bungee cord that's attached to us. That we can, we can go through our life and thinking everything is okay, but then when we get into our 40s, there's a big bungee cord that just is attached to us that just snaps us back to reality when it comes to dealing with the hurt that we had with our fathers. And we're tempted to say, I just don't care again. You know, the problem is that even though you're no longer in that situation with your father living in the same house, now we're years later and you're married now, you have children, and your kids and your wife or your wife is talking to you and saying, what's wrong with mom? What's wrong with dad? And the kids are going, what's wrong with my parents? And then you, as the, as the parent, you're like, there's nothing wrong with me. You're what's wrong with me. You ever been tempted to say that? And we could go through life blaming others for how we're feeling. And we, we, we miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives. And instead of going to God, we end up trying to medicate ourselves. We can start drinking a little bit too much. We can have a little bit too much wine 
with dinner. We can have a little bit too much beer when we go watch sports. And we end up saying, you know, I just don't care. But we need to remember that with God, you are born to care. You know, I'm going to share a little story. You know, my father, he was a professional athlete. He was drafted by the Cincinnati Royals playing professional basketball. He played in the ABA back in the 1960s. He played for three seasons. Before I was ever born, my, my mother, she was a model. And you're probably saying, that's where you get the looks from, Jamie. I understand that. <laughs> this is all before kids. And then we come along, and my dad, you know, retired from basketball and became a teacher. And I remember from a very young age, my dad put a, putting a basketball in my hand. And he said, all right, we're going to go shoot hoops, son. I'm like, let's go shoot hoops. And he would go out, we'd go out in the backyard, we'd just practice shooting hoops, shooting free throws. And I got good. And I, I started doing well in the different leagues and in, in the schools. And I was averaging 15 to 20 points per game. And my dad was just like, yes, you're, 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 this, is, this is the path I want for you, Jay. I want, I want you to follow in my footsteps. You know, my dad's six foot nine. He played, he played center. And I'm six foot five. And so I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm going. I, I used to be not so skinny as I am now. I was in really good shape. And I remember just, just going, okay, I want, to, I want to please my dad. Can we relate to that? Don't we all want to please our fathers? Don't we all want to please our, our mothers? And I remember in high school, and my father was actually coaching me at the time. And we were running drills. We were running drills and running suicides. Everybody know what a suicide is? Going back and forth. And as I was running, I heard something snap. And I, I separated my Achilles. And I had to wear a cat. I had to do the whole, ninth, whole, whole thing of, of healing. And back then, you know, 25 years ago, they didn't have all the technology that they have today. And so needless to say, my, my ankle or my Achilles was never the same. And so I'm going to show a video now that really hit home with me that came out about 10 years ago. And maybe you can relate to this. He's a definite first-round draft pick. We've waited 15 years for this. You've got to concentrate, Todd. You've got to concentrate. Maybe you can relate to that. Now, with me, I didn't want to become a dancer, amen. But that's okay if that's what you wanted to do. But I remember that I had already started playing the saxophone, starting in sixth grade, and I was I was the, the worst in the band. I was last chair, for those of you band people out there. And I was, you know, more focused on sports. I was more focused on being an athlete. And then once, once that injury happened to me, I was like, oh, shoot. And that's when I really started focusing on music. And I'll never forget my father. 
and his dreams that he had for me. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to him saying, I want to be a musician. And it was, he looked like that guy. Like, what? You want to be a musician? Musicians, they don't do it. They, they don't make money. They don't do anything. You're probably going to start doing drugs. That's what musicians do. And I said, I, I want to be a musician. And I'll never forget because I, I understand that commercial right there. I, I remember feeling that disconnect. That I had, I felt like I had let my father down. Because he had all these incredible plans and visions for me. He would send me to basketball camps. He would do this. He'd send me there. And then now all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want to do that, Dad. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be a musician. But, you know, I remember years later in talking with him. And, they, they, and our relationship was, was kind of like this. For, for a long, for a good while. And after becoming more accomplished as a musician, I'll never forget the time when he pulled me aside after a concert that I had just done. And he said, Jamie, I'm so proud of you. That you are doing something that you love to do. And, I, and I'll never forget that. For the rest of my life, no matter how many people thought I was good, no matter how many records I've sold, no matter how many people I've performed with, no matter how many tours I've done around the world, I'll always remember my dad saying, you're awesome. You're great. And I'm so glad that you're doing something that you love to do. And I'll never forget just that tension that had been built up in our relationship with my father, how that kind of went away. But then that tension came back after a few years. But now, here I'm a musician, and I'm playing, I'm touring, I'm playing with the Miami Sound Machine. I'm traveling here, I'm going here, I'm, I'm doing what I love to do. And then God calls me and says, not literally, but he, he says, I have a vision for you to go into the full-time ministry. And so imagine that. You know, first, you know, I want to be a professional athlete. That doesn't work out. So I get injured. Then and I have this, you know, time with my father of kind of like this. And then it gets resolved. Then I go to my dad and say, hey, dad. Hey, mom. I want to be in the ministry. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me? You're doing so great. You need to do this. You're doing music now. You're doing what you love to do. And I said, I love that too, but I want to help people. And I remember the friction. You're giving up everything. You're giving it all up for, for, for the ministry, for God. And that caused a lot of friction. In my, in my life. And now fast forward 25 years from the time I was a little kid. But now here I am. I'm in my 40s. And married to a beautiful wife of almost 16 years. Have two awesome kid, kids. Amen. And now you have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old. And... Of course, me being, you know, a musician from the past, that's how my kids kind of knew me as, was the musician. So me, as the father, like, you're going to play an instrument. And guess what instrument they played? Saxophone. And I'll never forget it with my oldest. And I asked, I asked Bronson if I could share this, and he gave me permission to share this. And I'll never forget, he would come home from school when he was 11, 12, 13 years old. And he would say, Dad, I hate bands. I'm like, what? No, you get in your room and practice. 
And it all came full circle. I was like, wow, I am now my father. Can you relate, guys? I am now my father. Where I'm going, no, you need to, you, you need to fill in the blank. And I was like, man, those, this band teacher. Who's this band teacher? And it ended up, after Bronson quit band, which this was like this to me. It's like, oh, the band teacher gets fired. I'm like, see? But I had to realize in my own life, hey, I can't live my life through my kids. I can't want, want for my kids what they don't want. And so there it was, hitting me full, right in the face. Just like what had happened to me so many years before. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do something that's interesting. It may not be very fun. Although I think we've had fun, some fun today so far. But I want to speak to those of you who today, you call yourself Christians. Those of you who would say, you know what, I've placed my faith in God. I've, I've taken that step. I've put, I, I've become a disciple. I was baptized into Christ. I, I, I've wanted to serve Jesus. And I want to talk to you today. And I want to encourage you, those of you who fall into that category, to continue the process of reconciling or beginning the process of reconciling with the person in your family that you're tempted to say the most, I don't care. That's what I want, that's what I want us to talk about today. Now, for those of you who you would say, you know what, I'm not a Christian. And the only reason why I'm here today is because the person that invited me said they're going to take me to lunch. That, that may be you. I, I want to encourage you that even though you may not subscribe to the things that we're going to talk about today as Christians, I want to encourage you to see what God has done for you. And because of you, even though you may not subscribe to what we're going to look at today in the scriptures, I want to encourage you. You may go, this is, this is bogus. I don't believe this. But I want to encourage you to just take a look and see what God has done for you. You know, here, as we talk about family, I want to say this, that it's a battle worth fighting for. It's a battle worth fighting for, even though probably you won't win the battle. I'll just say that. When it comes to dealing with our families, like I shared earlier, it would be awesome to think, you know, that we could all be reconciled in our families, that all, everybody in our immediate and, and outside of our family, that we can all just see and all get along and all understand each other. But, you know, that, that's ideal. That may not be the reality of what may happen, especially as we enter in to the Christmas season. It is a battle worth fighting for. Because you know what? As we fight this battle, it may not happen with other people, but what will happen is, is what's good in our heart. As we, as we go through this process together of finding out and learning how to reconcile and how to connect it's going to be good for our hearts, no matter what the outcome. Amen? So here's the main idea for today. For those of all of you, those of you who are Christ followers, trying to be your best and do your best as disciples, and the reason why we can no longer live in the state of I don't care is found right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us. This right here sums it all up as to why we can no longer live as Christians. And again, if you're not a Christian, you don't even have, you can tune out if you want. 
But if you do call yourself a Christian, this verse right here can change your life when it comes to dealing with your own family. The reason why God wants us to, to maintain an openness, to reconcile with the person that you're tempted to say, I just don't care, is right here. The love of Christ or Christ's love for you compels us. You know, in the Greek, the Greek word for compel translate, translates it limits our options. That Christ's love limits our options as to not doing what we need to do. But Christ's love compels us to do what God wants us to do. In other words, Christ's love leaves us no choice or alternative. Let's keep reading. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. You know, I think it's pretty simple. We can understand what Paul is talking about here. He says, because we are convinced that one died. Who's he talking about? Jesus, right? And therefore all died. That's us. So he's saying, because Jesus died, therefore we all should die. So he kind of breaks it down a little further for, for those of us that may have a hard time understanding. Let's keep reading. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. For Christ's love compels us. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves. And this is, this is, this is what Jesus and God are, are communicating to us this morning. That because of what God did for us, He stepped forward. And He initiated the process of reconciling with us. And He sent His Son, His perfect Son, to die for us. And it says, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And see, now, Paul is saying, Christ, what Christ did for you, Christ did something very uncomfortable. He did something very unpleasant for God by going and dying on the cross. And now, he's requiring of you and I to do something for him that is unpleasant for you. See, Jesus set the perfect example. Jesus did what did not seem was in his best interest. Jesus didn't do what seemed to be in his best interest in dying on the cross for us. And now he's asking us to do something that may not be in our best interest when it comes to reconciliation. Think about that person that you're tempted to say, I don't care. What kind of feelings does that bring up? Does it bring up, oh, that's very unpleasant. Well, that's uncomfortable when I talk about so-and-so. This scripture right here applies to us. Let's keep reading. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, Jesus doesn't just want us to stop living for ourselves, but he wants us to start living for him. And that takes a radical step. That takes going public. That, we, that Chris Boyer talked about several weeks ago. It talks about taking a step and doing something that's out of your comfort zone, that may not feel good, that may not benefit you. But it'll benefit God, especially when it comes to reconciliation. Let's keep reading. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, were, we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You know, that's, so, that's what's so cool about when you decide to put your faith in Jesus. And all of us here who are, who are Christians understand this. 
The old is gone. Remember the old? How are you the old way? I remember for me, I was lustful. I was impure. I was immoral. I cussed. I, I, I was so proud I could, I said, people would say I had a mouth like a sailor. And now look at me. I don't know if you're talking about God. Crazy, isn't it? But that, that's who I was before. I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was rude. I was not sincere. And then when I saw what God did for me through sending His Son, the old was gone and the new has come. And I was studying the Bible, we were studying the Bible with a couple, my wife and I, in Tenton City, Rosario, over the last month or so, Eric and Lisa Jones. And I was asking Eric, I said, so what, what would a new Eric look like as he was deciding to become a Christian? He said, man, I would just be totally different than the way I am. And that is how Christianity should affect us. See, when we become followers of Jesus, it's the old has gone and the new has come. You become a new creation. You're like a brand new baby. I remember, and it's interesting that today, 22 years ago, December 2nd, 1990, was the day that I became a disciple of Jesus. Amen. And I remember, I remember just coming out of the baptistry going, don't think about anything else. Just think about Jesus. Because I was a babe, I, I didn't want to sin. I just wanted to be like totally clean and pure. See, what happens is that sometimes our old wants to start coming back. Our old wants to start intruding into our new life. And that's why for Christ's love should compel us. Amen? Let's keep reading. First, 2 Corinthians 5.18. All of this is from God. All the things that we just talked about from the Scripture is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. We're going to talk about this whole concept of reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled? Basically, it's taking two things that are not compatible with each other and making them compatible. A good example is this. A key. Just a few weeks ago, I went to the hardware, hardware store. I had to get some house keys made. And so I gave them the key that actually fit our house. I said, I need three, three keys made, duplicates of this key. So he took out a key that didn't match the key that I gave him, and he stuck it in this grinder. And he turned it on. It was like, and you could see like the, the, the metal just like flaking off. Can you, you guys have done this before, right? And, it, and, and then he took the key out, and then he took one of these really thick brushes, like hardcore brush, and he's like, and he's, he's scraping it because it wasn't, it wasn't matching up yet. And he was just scrubbing, and he stuck it back in there and started sizzling away at it again. Why? Because he was trying to reconcile both keys to match each other. And this is so true with God. You know, when we think about God, God, who is perfect, is trying to reconcile with us, who is imperfect. We are that key that needs to get fit in the grinder a little bit. Because, or should it be the other way around? That we want to fit God and make Him like us. I think it's clear, and I know it's clear in my life, whenever I've tried to make God be like me, it doesn't go well. Teens, let God mold you. Don't try and mold God because it will, it will not go well with you if you try and fit God into your molds. And so let's, let's continue talking about this idea of reconciliation. 
is key. God wants to reconcile with us. He, he made the first step with us. He took the first step. We were the ones that were imperfect. Yet God reached out to us through sending His Son, the perfect one, to reconcile with us the imperfect one. He made the first step. We did not make the first step when it came to reconciliation. God took the first step. Through Christ, God removed every obstacle to reconciling with us. And this is so true. God, God took away every, every excuse we can make by sending His own Son to die for us. By sending His Son so that we can be reconciled. The only thing that He did not remove was us from the equation. Because He gives us the free will to make the decision whether or not we want to follow Him or not. Isn't that cool? He doesn't make us be reconciled. No, He's like, no, I'm going to set the table. I'm going to provide everything. I'm going to remove all the obstacles away except for you so that you can make the choice whether or not you want to eat. He doesn't force you to eat from the table, but He invites you to come. He invites us to come and sit down at the table with all the fixings right there and say, here it is, Jamie. All you have to do, Jamie, is respond and say, yes. I'm willing and I want to and I need to be reconciled to you, God. You know, this is a very powerful thought. That where God looked at you and I, and even though we made so many promises to God over the years, how many of us can relate to this? God, if you just do this, I'll fill in the blank. God, if you just come through right here, Man, I, I'll be committed. I'll be devoted. I'll start reading my Bible if He just bailed me out right here. God, if you just help my girlfriend not be pregnant, God, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I go to church. I said that. God, if you just give me an A on this test. If I can just pass this test, God, I'll start following you more. God, if you give me this raise, I'll be more committed to you. God, if you save my marriage, I'll be devoted to you. And we put it backwards. And here's God at the end of the maze. And we go through life just wandering around. Meandering through life. And God's right there at the end going, here am I. Just turn to me. Turn to me and follow me. God has done everything to remove the obstacles in our lives. There's, there, there, should no, there should not be any maze when it comes to following and, and finding Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, what God wants from us, that those of us who are believers, those of us who are Christians, that our lives should be ones that exude reconciliation. That, hey, you know what? You may, you may be having a hard time in your life. You may be having a hard time in your marriage. You know what? God, can, you can be reconciled to God. Yeah, you, you're having a hard time with your parents. I understand that. You know what? You can be reconciled to God. Those of us who are Christ followers, that is how our lives, no matter what's going on in our life, it should exude that of a ministry of reconciliation. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, 
not counting people's sins against them. The reason why we can be reconciled to God is because God does not count our past sins, our present sins, or our future sins against us. Let me say that again because I didn't get very many amends on that. That God does not count our past sins, our present sins, or our future sins against us. Those of us who are Christians. That tells us, that tells me how much God loves reconciling with His people. He lives to be reconciled. Again, He put His first step forward. He set the table for all of us. And all He is asking is that we sit down and eat. And He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. Here it is again. God is making His appeal through us because of this ministry of reconciliation. You see how, how much God has done? God has cleared everything away so that there's no obstacles for us. And He wants to make His appeal through you and I. Now let's break it down a little bit. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Be reconciled to God. You know, as God did so much to reconcile us to Him, you may be thinking, you may be, you guys are sharp people. You may be thinking to yourself, well, if God did that to me, God reconciled me. He took the first step with me, even though I'm such a sinner. If He wants to reconcile with me, and I'm thinking about that person I don't care about, that person that may have hurt me, may have, have, have caused me so much pain, and God is saying, because of what I did for you, I'm asking you now to do what I have done for you for someone else. Even though it may cause you a little pain and suffering, it'll be good because of reconciliation. Think again about that person in your life. That Cousin Eddie that just bugs you, that you're tempted to say, you know what, I'm done. This person is just, oh. Wore me out. You know what? We all have someone like that in our family. Don't you? You all have someone in our family like that, in your family like that. Now, you're saying, if you're, not a, if you're not a Christian, you're saying, boy, I'm glad that I don't have to do that. You're saying, man, I'd, I'd rather go to hell then be reconciled with, with my father who abandoned me, who left me, or my mother who married some other dude. I'd rather go to hell. And we, we kind of laugh. But let me just say this. God created you to care as well. No matter how much hurt that you've gone through, it's okay. It's okay. Because Christ lives to reconcile you. Christ gave his life for you and your hurt and all the things, how you were mistreated. And he set the table for you today to take that step. So if God, who was perfect, and we are the sinners, God is longing to be reconciled with us, then who are we to say that I don't want to at least try and open the door of reconciliation with that family member? Think in your mind for me. Who is that person? 
that you're tempted to say, Jamie, I just don't care. He's hurt me. She's hurt me. I'm done. I, I, I just, just thinking about it makes me mad. And that's just our immediate family. If we were to go a deeper level, because the Bible says that when we become Christians, we enter into a family of Christ. I'll take my time, sister. All right. That when we become Christians, we enter into the family of God. And oh boy, if you want to talk about drama that can happen in the church. And the elder said, Amen. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Who in this group does there need to be reconciliation? Who in this group have you been tempted to say, I'm done? Let them just go on their way. Who have you been tempted to say, man, bless their heart. God love them. Bless their heart. But God wants us to be reconciled to each other as well. And maybe there needs to be some talks here. But I digress. Let's get back to the family. Okay. So who is that in your family? Your immediate family? It could be someone that lives in Timbuktu, but you're just, you just, ugh, you can't, you can't stand them. And you may not say it out loud, but in your heart, you know who it is. We're going to do something a little different today. Let's read this scripture. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. You know, when we study the Bible with people, this is a topic that we talk about, forgiveness and reconciling. And this is, this is very difficult for all of us, because it's hard to forgive someone that's hurt you. Isn't it? It's hard to, to sit there and, and, and look at someone and they've hurt you emotionally. They've hurt you deeply and, and say, I forgive you. Maybe it's been, it, was, it was child abuse. Maybe it was sexual abuse. Maybe it's someone who's an addict that's hurt you. Maybe you're the person that you need to forgive yourself. Sometimes that can be the most challenging, is to forgive yourself for how you treated others. Are you with me right here? Because what does the Scripture say? If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So like I said, we're going to do something here that we typically don't do. And I want to put in the forefront of your mind, I want you to think about that person that you're tempted to most say, I don't care. But remember, you were born to care. God created you to care. And I want to encourage you. To first identify who that person is, but then decide to go public. And how, are, how can we go public? I want, if you have someone that you want to, want to and need to be reconciled with, I want you to stand. Not right now, but I want you to stand. And as you stand, we're going to applaud you. Because what you're doing is you're taking that first step. Of going public. Making that first step and saying, you know what? I have a cousin Eddie in my life. And boy, he just, I've, I've been tempted to say, I don't care. You know what? Because of what Jesus did for me. 
because of what, how Jesus removed all the obstacles. I want to remove all the obstacles because of what Jesus did for me. He set the table. And here we are, ready to eat. All we have to decide now is decide, do we want to eat from God's table? So, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to do every head bowed, every eye closed like you used to do back in the old church. <laughs> but what we're going to do is if there's someone in your life that you can say, I don't care, and you want to make it right, I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter if there's one person that stands up or 400. We want to applaud you. So let's take time to do that right now. Let's go ahead. If there's if someone here that wants to stand up, there's some people in the back. Awesome. There's people right here. Let's clap. Let's go. Awesome. Amen. Let's all stand up. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. And I'm going to pray right now for our communion. And let's think about these things of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you made the first step toward us. And God, I pray that, that we will understand that much your love should compel us to be reconciled to you and be reconciled to each other. No matter what kind of pain we've had, Jesus, you, sit, you died for us. You bled on the cross so that we might be able to respond to the cross. Father, we thank you for giving us the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you for giving your life that we will no longer live for ourselves. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.